Well, welcome to Wilshire. We are, uh, we are very glad that you are here with us. And visitors, we're especially glad that you've chosen to come and spend some time with us today. And I hope that you'll be able to be a part of our Bible classes. I hope you'll be able to be a part of our fellowship time right after this worship service and give us a chance to know you better. I think you're going to enjoy getting to know the Wilshire Church of Christ if you're a visitor. And because uh, it's a wonderful place. And uh, so I hope that you'll be able to, to stay around some. Um, you know, I don't think I'm letting any secrets out of the bag to tell you that the last five or six years have been a particularly divisive time in our country. And it's been interesting to me as I watch the different kinds of protests that are out there, to, I've heard this chant used on both sides of the political divide. Whose streets? Our streets. You heard that? Whose streets? Our streets. It's not going to be a political sermon this morning. I just want to make a point that the reason why people say those things is because they're fighting over the identity of this country. This country that is of the people, by the people, for the people. And so the people are trying to say, it needs to be like this. Whose streets? Our streets. And that attitude, especially when you live in a democracy like ours, sometimes translates over into the church. Whose church? Our church. My church. Well, my church believes this. Our church does this. Their church does that. Whose church? Whose church? Whose church is it? Christ's church. So this morning, Jeremy and I are going to start a new series where we're going to work through some of the key passages of Paul's letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians. And the letter that Paul writes to the Corinthians, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, are not always fun letters. I mean, he's having to put out a lot of church fires. The, these churches, the, the church at Corinth was uh, on the wrong track in a bunch of different ways. We're not going to be able to cover every one of those issues, but I want to get at the way that Paul goes about this. Jeremy taught us a wonderful adult Bible class just a, a little while ago about this great book of 1 Corinthians. And, and the way Paul goes about dealing with these issues where Christians, you know, sincerely but wrongly are practicing and saying things is, is, is great because it tells us how we can get ourselves back on track. And the first issue he addresses 
is the issue of division in the church over who's your favorite preacher, who's your favorite leader. Starts off 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. If you've got your Bibles, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians, the first three chapters, the whole time this morning. So you can just open up. It's on the study sheet there, all the passages I'm going to, pretty much all the passages I'm going to look at. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 through 13. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean by this is, one of you says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, and another says, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? You get how Paul does this? This is Paul talking. He might say, so all of y'all, I want you to rally around me, which is not uncommon in modern culture. It's not, unculture, not uncommon in human culture. Say, I will lead us to the promised land. Everybody follow me. But Paul says, I don't want followers. I didn't go to the cross for you. It's not my name that was pronounced over you. He goes on to say, that's why I farmed out most of the baptisms that were performed in Corinth and just about everywhere else. You were all baptized. I didn't do much of the baptizing. Other people did that. He names a few people that he baptized, but he says, other people did the baptizing. I don't do that even personally. I'm kind of glad. Because I don't want you thinking that this is about me. I'm not trying to create a cult of the personality of Paul. Whose church? Christ's church. And this sets out a crucial principle for us Christians. It's been a problem that we have to be on guard against the entire history of the church, and it's one we have to be on guard against today. Loyalty to human leaders often tries to take the place of, lo of the loyalty we owe only to Christ. That's just the facts. Loyalty to human leaders often tries to take the place of the loyalty we owe only to Christ. Human leaders are wonderful, and we recognize that this leader is uniquely gifted to give me what I need right now. I think back on the leaders that I've had, and many of them I've lost, you know, to death, because I'm old. I think of what Raymond Kelsey did for me, some of you. Think of what Hugo McCord did for me, some of you. I just had the funeral a couple of weeks ago of Joe McCormick. And most of you didn't have him as a Bible teacher, but I did. I grew up in a church where he was the youth group teacher. He was the Tony Rose of 
the College Church of Christ when I grew up. And he was wonderful, and he had a big outsized personality, and, and, and we all loved him. But it wasn't his church. Wilshire, under Raymond Kelsey, did wonderful things. But it wasn't Raymond Kelsey's church. Over and over again, though, there is this temptation to say, this church will only do well by connecting itself fundamentally to this leader. And we don't know for sure, but based on the things Paul says, we're going to talk about some of them next week, but some of the things that Paul says indicates that that was what was gone wrong in Corinth, is that the 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 Christians at Corinth said the only way that we can have a successful church is if we if we fix ourselves to this particular human leader. There were those who said, Paul, he was the first missionary that started our church. It's got to be Paul's way or the highway. And others said, no, Apollos came and he was able to reach out to people Paul could never reach. He had the right kind of Greek style rhetoric and he he, he was a polished speaker in a way Paul wasn't. And, 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 and he's the kind of of leader that we need. And others said, no, it's Cephas, the guy who preached the gospel on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem. It's that Jerusalem old style Christianity. We've got to hold fast. It's got to happen or the church will wither and die. And they were, they were really thinking that some human leader was going to be the source of the power of the church. And Paul says, forget it. Whose church? Christ's church. The power of the church is and always has been Christ. Now, Paul actually spends three chapters dealing with this issue because it's such a big deal to him. So I'm going to break this up. Next week, we're going to talk about what he says about the nature of human wisdom in relation to the wisdom of God. Because it's a fundamental teaching of his. So we're going to talk about that next week. So I'm going, to, I'm going to skip down to some of the other things that Paul says. If you have your Bibles, turn over to chapter 3. Some of the other things that Paul specifically says about these divisions based on, you know, overconfidence and overloyalty in human leaders. It says, brothers and sisters, I couldn't address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, still carnal, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you're not ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready. You're still worldly. For since there's jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Aren't you acting like mere human beings? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? 
Only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will be rewarded according to their own labor, for we are co-workers in God's service. You're God's field. You are God's building. That's a powerful passage. Paul says, Christians are no longer ordinary humans. For some reason, I don't know why this is, but for some reason, Hollywood has found that the main way to make money is superhero stories. How many different superhero franchises are out there right now? That's the main way to, to cash in on the really big bucks during the summer blockbuster season. Super. How many origin stories of, of different kinds? I touched a magic rock. I got bit by a bug. I, I picked up a hammer. I, you know, how many origin stories are out there? I stuck my hand in a lantern. That's my favorite, by the way. Wish the movie was better. Uh, how many origin stories are there where a ordinary human being turned into something super? Paul says, there's nothing special about you, but I'm telling you, Christians aren't ordinary. We're not mere humans anymore. Because when you are baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, God does stuff to you. Not just washing away your sins, but God changes you. He means you now to be characterized by the Spirit. Actually, in chapter 2, he uses this phrase, the, the spiritual person. And, and, and you're, be, you're meant to beginning to live that life, to, as he says in Romans six, uh, 8, to walk by the Spirit. That's who you are. You're a, you're a different kind. You're not a mere human being, an ordinary human anymore. And he says, unfortunately, every time one of you says, we're just going to die as a church if we don't follow Apollos. We're just going to wither away and blow away if we don't stick to Paul. Every time one of you says that, you're going back to the world's way of thinking. He says, you're not ordinary. And the reason you're not is <coughs> has nothing to do with human leaders. It has to do with what God is doing in you. So he says, <coughs> understand what the leaders are. They're God's employees. The best leader you've ever been in contact with, the most charismatic, best leader you've ever experienced works for somebody. Different human leaders serve different needs of the church, but they are all working for the same Lord. I am grateful that God is smart enough to know there are things that I can do and he's been willing to let me do them here at this place and some other places. Even when I think I can do things, he knows the things that I'm really bad at. 
and he has graciously given us Jeremy and Tony and Andrew and so many others to lead us in this place. And if you look across the Christian world, there are leaders who are good at some stuff and they're not good at others. And God uses them to do some stuff and he has other people working on the other. You see how silly it's going to be if I say, oh, this is the one though. This is the one. Anybody who's not on board with this, it's just crazy. Paul's going to come back to that theme at the end of this chapter. <coughs> Human leaders have a boss. And the boss is the Lord. Skip down to verse 16. Paul says, we're all, he says, us human leaders, we're all like builders and we're trying to build properly. What is it we're building? We're building God's temple. The church is God's temple. He says, don't you know, I like the way the NIV translates it because it manages to get in the way that actual grammar works. Um, you in English can mean you individually or you as a group. And in 1 Corinthians 3, verses 16 and 7, Paul's talking about you as a group, you church, you congregation, you more than congregation even, the church worldwide. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? And that God's spirit dwells in your midst. So far, so good. I, we're all God's temple. I like that. There used to be a temple in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is a long way away and costs a lot of money to get to. I am grateful. God's temple is now every place there's a congregation of us. That's pretty good. I like being God's temple. God's temple is beautiful. God's temple is glorious. Lots of stuff said about God's temple in the Old Testament and the New. I like that part. It's verse 17 that gives me the itches. We are God's temple when we're together as a congregation. The Holy Spirit is here amongst us. Separate? I, mean, I think that's a different thing than, than the gift of the Holy Spirit that's in each one of us. Verse 17 if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. Ouch. You get what that's saying? There used to be a temple in Jerusalem. That temple is gone. Uh, when... It still stood when Paul wrote this, but it was no longer God's temple, Paul is saying. God's temple is you, the congregations of God's church, of Christ's church. You are the place that people come for forgiveness of sins. You are the place that people come for comfort. You, together, collectively, are that place where where people come and they know God has invited them to be in his presence. That's what we are when we are collectively together. And then Paul says, 
Don't you see what a terrifying thing it is for you to take it upon yourself to rip that temple down with your hands? The church is God's temple now so that those who tear the church to pieces must answer to God. That's just the facts. I don't ever, ever want to take it upon myself for my egotistical reasons or for my folly to tear the church apart. I do not want to have to stand before God with that on my conscience. And I will tell you, I have worked my entire ministry career. I've, I've actually closed down one church. There's a church that no longer exists in East Arkansas. Yodi and I worked there for a year and a half. I'm very proud of that. I don't have it on my resume, but I'm proud of it. Because it was a split. It was a silly, ego-driven split. And they needed to get back together with the other congregation. I don't, I don't want to face God having taken part in a church split. And you don't either. You don't. God, God watches that stuff. I believe what Paul says here. God watches that stuff. We need to take that seriously. Paul goes on. Verse 18, do not deceive yourselves. <laughs> if any of you thinks you're wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it's written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are of Christ and Christ is of God. That's an interesting passage to me. This, this connects up with what he said in chapter one about the wisdom of God, which I'm deferring till next week. But he says, don't you get it? If you properly understand where you are, then you are not threatened by the fact that the ministry of Apollos really looks differently than the ministry of Paul. And both of those look differently than the ministry of Cephas. You're not freaked out by the fact that what's going on in the church in Jerusalem, in that culture, is pretty different from what's going on here in Corinth in this culture. That doesn't bug you very much because you realize that God is the one who's running this show, not human wisdom. You see what he just did? This is actually a very hopeful doctrine. This is a doctrine that says, this isn't all on me. The fate of the church doesn't depend on me. I got to be smart as I can be. I got to be as faithful to the word as I can be. I got to keep myself from telling myself lies. I got to keep checking myself with what's in the word. But in the end, I know this. It's not my wisdom that runs the church. It's God's wisdom. And his plans are too big for me. Paul just says that. 
The wisdom of God far transcends any wisdom we are able to achieve. And sometimes I just got to say, my best knowledge means I don't know what God's up to. God's plans for the church are too big for us to comprehend. But that should make us ready to hold up what's good rather than eager to focus on what's bad. I don't want to be the person that says, oh, if I don't become the doctrine police, the church is just going to go to pieces. Instead, I want to be the person that kind of follows what Jesus said in Luke chapter 9, verse 50. He said, look, a person that's not against you is for you. He told that to his disciples. They were worried. They said, well, this is a guy that's not even part of our group, but he was out there doing things in your name, casting out demons and stuff. And Jesus says, you know, settle down. <laughs> you don't have to be the Jesus police, always. That's a more complex issue than that, but, but I just want you, I, I think it's okay as Christians for us to look with hope when we see leaders doing things that we don't completely understand. It's okay. doesn't mean we don't work hard to understand what the Bible says. It doesn't mean we ever turn our back on what the Bible teaches. But I think it means God's plans are huge. And we often got to find ourselves in a position of saying, I'm not sure what's going on relative to the wisdom of God. Because after all, whose church? Christ's church. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for your love for us expressed in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Let us never, ever forget who died for us. Let us never, ever forget whose name we took when we were baptized. God, help us to live faithfully as the church of Christ. Help us to be Christ people in what we do and what we say and how we act and how we treat those around us. God, help us to love your word and to obey what you have taught us to obey. And God, help us to always seek to do what you have asked us to do. And God, help us to handle one another with love and affection and hope. These things we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you need to respond to the invitation that God offers, if you need prayers or help, or if today you're ready to receive baptism, we invite you to come as we are led in song.